Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don, as usual. And we have returning fan favorite Ed Buck back again. And today we are going to be talking about TV and the way people talk about TV. So Ed has been doing sort of an experiment with uh, with TV watching. Why don't you tell us about that, Ed? Sure. Uh, I've been watching kind of no TV for the last five or six years or so. Because I've just been kind of busy and I usually if I want to watch something, I kind of pull something on YouTube or, you know, just you know, have download something or something. I don't really turn on the TV and just kind of casually, you know, catch something, especially when it comes to like uh, narrative television. I don't really watch shows and I'm, I'm out of the conversation on a lot of the shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the last show I like watched from beginning to end was like Mad Men. Whenever yeah. that ended, that was a few years ago. And since then, I kind of didn't really, I don't think I've seen anything that kind of really caught me. I think Game of Thrones mm-hmm. was like the biggest event that I kind of, like, I mean, watched a little bit of. Yeah. But when it kind of went off the tracks with the books, I kind of stopped. And I never okay. saw the, the finale. I never, never really like paid much attention to what happened. But I did see that it was a big, like, it was big on Twitter and big and you know kind of everywhere that paid attention to that kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't feel like going back to that, but I did want to see like what television is like today. Mm-hmm. And so I think I used to read a lot of like you know, kind of culture studies, media theory stuff. And at least in the '90s, like the big interesting thing that people would say about television was that people would do zapping. People like switch channels very quickly and kind of would create a very, um, I guess, interesting for some people uh, media experience because you'd be watching like news one like at one second and then you're watching something narrative and then you'd be watching sports or, or and so on and mm-hmm. advertising and all would kind of compile and I think a few decades past this was kind of interesting to people because it aligned with the idea of the convergence kind of theory or the convergence of, of different, you know, kind of fields of media studies. I think the whole idea of media studies as opposed to like film studies or literature, kind of literary criticism, instead you have to study kind of content or media or, you know, kind of this one blob of things. Mm-hmm. And the way that blob is fed to you is through television. And, uh, or today, I guess it's like through all the screens that we have, it's just you just get like a blob of media or a blob of content yeah. uh, and it's basically uninterrupted and you get to choose what you get but at some overall level someone else chooses what you get and I think that used to be a, a kind of a big mainstay of kind of media criticism is that like instead of being able to kind of pinpoint what's good about a particular thing uh, the manner of consuming those things is a kind of very disjoint and not really controllable in the same way that like sitting down and watching a movie is. So instead of that, you have like someone watching about six to eight hours per day of mm-hmm. some content on television or some some of this, a little bit of that. So I kind of wanted to go back to that a little bit. I wanted to see what it's like to get a little sampling of what it would be like to kind of do zapping, but in an age when this is not really done. Because today, I don't think anyone really sits down and goes, I'll watch just like one thing, like an hour of this show or something. I think people mm-hmm. kind of binge or choose the shows they want to watch and they kind of focus on that or try to finish it or see if they like it, you know. 
Yeah, that's called freedom, Ed. That's right. Uh, well, I feel like you don't really get to kind of just sit down and watch like one episode of Cheers or something or Columbo uh, just on TV because it's on TV or like a MASH rerun or something. Mm-hmm. So I wanted I wanted to try that, but I didn't just want to try it with uh, kind of like any random TV show, like just go on Netflix, I guess, and click. I wanted to see like what the best is that the TV kind of now has to offer. And I went to AV Club and I saw like what's the best top twenty uh, top shows in twenty twenty one, and uh, I rolled like a, a a random number generator and got like a, of that list I got three, and I saw one episode of a show called Dickinson, one episode of a show called Rutherford Falls, and one episode of something called Mayor of East Town. Mm-hmm. I had I had literally nothing. I think I saw like one ad for Mayor of East Town, and I just kind of clicked through it very quickly because it looked just very boring. Um, but everything else, I just had no idea what it's like, what it's about, um, and I just kind of went in cold. I just wanted to see like what is like what it would be like to kind of turn on the streaming service or something, and just kind of click at random and see kind of what you get. Mm-hmm. I think you guys, before the show, you guys said that you haven't really heard of these shows or haven't seen them. Um, yeah, I haven't heard of those. I guess the mayor of East Town sounds familiar. There's a lot of memes around it that I saw and people praising it. And then uh, Rutherford Falls, I've never heard of at all, like not even no pre-awareness. And then uh, Dickinson, I just saw some of the promotional stuff kind of thing for it. I didn't, never seen it. Um, mm-hmm. I, my understanding, it, it's a, that one's the one that's about like Emily Dickinson or something like that. And then it's, but it's sort of like a reworking of her life to be more dramatic and sort of like feminist or something like that. I'm not sure the way that they do it, but yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'll, we can kind of jump into each one of them. So my goal with this is that I watched these with a friend and we kind of tried to piece together. I watched uh, season two, episode nine of Dickinson, which I think is each each season has 10 episodes so it was right before the finale and i try to piece, piece together what the plot is and kind of try to get a feel of what the uh i guess the visual kind of the formal look of the show and what they try to do with it and yes dickinson is about emily dickinson but she's a superhero she has uh uh clairvoyance she's clairvoyant and she's not just a like a schizophrenic person she actually has visions about what happens to the future and that's why she is a shut-in or whatever. Uh, it's also like, it's like in, set in the Marie Antoinette, like uh, was it Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette kind of universe, where everything has a very modern soundtrack. Oh, but yeah. It, but it's, they're dressed like they're in kind of community theater, kind of, uh, yeah, dress-up. But sure. they, they, they have like modern kind of synth-pop music blasting like throughout, like uh, every, each episode, well, the one I saw, it's kind of made up of like four or five montages of like people dancing to modern music um, and that kind of thing. And it's like kind of a like a teen, I guess, sex comedy kind of. It's kind of like Skins is the closest I could kind of mm-hmm. gauge what it was like. But set in in the build up to the Civil War. At some point, that was that was one of the big moments of the show is that uh, John Brown gets caught, you know, trying to do his rebellion. Mm-hmm. And uh, they call the people that follow him, they call them uh, brown bros, like Bernie <laughs> bros. And that's that's a big like, gag in the show. Like, <laughs> and that was, that was really good. 
yeah, um, there's a bit of like uh, everything is very like risque. There's a lot of like kind of it's as I think it's it's Apple TV Plus, so they get to have a little more kind of sexual and kind of out there con- content. But it is also very like feminist. It has like a very kind of every woman in the show is like a independent, strong woman who is kind of facing their own, you know, defeating trauma and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so the look of it was kind of interesting, but uh, one, of the, I, uh, one of the things it does is kind of similar to the show Sherlock, where I think you can see sometimes Sherlock's thoughts. Like he's so smart that he like imprints uh, what he's thinking onto the screen. And you can see his thought process like as like these abstract images. Mm-hmm. In Dickinson, you see like Emily saying the words of her poems and it like writes in a cool font on screen as she's saying them. Uh, so like you know that what she's saying is not just like a random strange thing to say because none of that thing fits into like the, the setting of the scene. She just right. would, would like repeat what would be the poem in the future. And mm-hmm. because, you know, you're, you, I mean... I felt like a dummy because it would be like, oh, in case you didn't know, that's also a poem. And it, it was like it was like a magic marker would show up and write it on the screen as she mm-hmm. said it. So that was that was a good device. <laughs> yeah. Um that was good. That was a that was a good show. Uh I didn't really understand like what the what the conflict was. I think it's like uh, everyone kinda has sex with each other and they're all cheating on each other. But I didn't really I didn't really grasp what was going on kind of thematically. Uh, visually, it was very kind of plain. It was very like, um, there was like strange Instagram filters and everything. Like everything was really kind of beige. And yeah. people were very, everyone looked like um, a Harry Styles, like that uh, One Direction, like kind of British. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like every male looked like him. But mm-hmm. Emily herself was uh, Latina or like part Latina, uh, which is kind of funny. I don't know. That's a strange decision, but I guess that's representation. But everyone else was like kind of a, a cast. Oh, there was a there was one Asian guy, and the kind of one of the gags is that he's a kind of a Ken Jong kind of character. He's comic relief, and he's the only like person of color that's not a slave. Which is funny, mm-hmm. or not a like a not a um, a heroic black person trying to escape, you know, South or something. So that's Dickinson. Then Rutherford Falls is an Ed Helms, uh, like I think, written and produced show. And Ed Helms is like, uh, it's about uh, the Confederate general statutes. Or um, I think it's not actually like a Confederate statue, but Ed Helms is Nathan Rutherford. And he's like a descendant of one of the people whose statute is in the town square in this tiny town that he's in, which is called Rutherford Falls. And like Native American activists are trying to remove the statue. So it's very like, um, it's very uh, uh, hot button issue. I think when it was written, I think it was it was like a, on the screens all the time, the statutes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Ed Helms himself plays like this kind of oblivious white guy trying to be nice, but still trying to preserve the heritage of his uh, great you know kind of ancestor. Mm-hmm. But the big thing about that show is that it's very much like a, like a, The Office or something like a CW kind of sitcom, kind of a everything is very like bright and everyone's very well lit and there's all these like little jokes that are um kind of dialogue little gags and that the episode that i got was actually centered around recording a podcast episode 
where uh, Ed Helms goes on a podcast and he says something that will get him canceled later. And he's trying to get that podcast edited. So that's kind of funny to see that. What what uh, what streaming service is that on? Like it's what? on it's on Peacock, which I think is the NBC. Oh, yeah. it's, yeah, I, it's I, NBC. Yeah. But it's not shown on NBC, it's only on Peacock. I think it's exclusively. Yeah, yeah. Which tells you it's a very good high quality show. They don't show it <laughs> on on TV. But um there were some funny gags. I mean there were, there were jokes. One of the things is that it's very strongly uh, native centric. A lot of characters are natives, and they um, kind of a lot of the side plot is not really about Ed Helms, but about this these other people that are trying to mm-hmm. get the statue removed. I think, and like a lot of jokes about like reservations and casinos, mm-hmm. but but done in a very kind of tasteful kind of way, um, mm-hmm. or like in a way that's that would be read as tasteful. I think. Because they probably had they listened to native voices. They had they had consultants, I think, on the show. Sure. And the mayor of East Town is like a very straightforward criminal kind of crime drama, and it's HBO, um, so it's very like uh, it has like the air of prestige, but everything about it seemed like very. It, it was like Silence of the Lambs, uh, where there's no Hannibal Lecter, so there was like a very straightforward kind of procedural, but the main character has like problems also so like the main like i think uh, there was a maybe like a k-punk article uh or a k-punk like blog post about how in cop shows you can't just make a cop like straightforward show anymore you have to have the cop has to have like internal problems like he has to be an alcoholic or have like um you know drug problems or something like that Mm mm-hmm and in this one, I think it's Kate Winslet, and she has um, she's divorcing and has like all kinds of internal kind of struggle and strife. But the episode that I saw was a very like going through the steps, catching a bad guy, and then actually like finding who the bad guy is and then apprehending him. Or actually, in the show, she shoots him. Spoiler alert! Uh, but that wasn't the finale. That was like way early in the beginning. So maybe there's more bad guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that there's more bad guys, but um, the reason why I wanted to do that is because I wanted to kind of find out what the, I don't know what what is TV like like today, because the, my only contact with TV is reading someone like Emily Nussbaum or Matt Stoller sites or someone writing for AV Club, one of those blogs kind of or websites, and whenever they talk about TV, it's almost always like in this very abstract way about the themes of an episode or something, or like, here's Mm -hmm. what Buffy gets right about feminism, or here's what, I don't know, Mayor of Easttown gets right about opioid addiction. But it's almost never like clearly evaluative. Like it never explains why something is good. There's a lot of praise typically. And I think TV journalism way more than perhaps like even movie journalism is that you get, really have to hype the thing that you like because there's a real abundance uh, mm-hmm. of, of things. So you can't really be like a very negative critic uh, if you want to, you know, kind of write about something you would like. You'd want to hype up the things, the very few things that you see, that you enjoy, and the aspects of them that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. But very rarely does there like an explanation of what they find good about like The Sopranos or something. Um you don't really get that. What you get is like, well, here's what adulthood means. It's like essays. They're like yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. college essays of like, 
uh, Sopranos and feminism or X and Y, like two things or three things, uh, you know, X-Files and uh, police violence or something. So they're very like topical and very easy to kind of read and swallow and digest, but really hard to kind of piece together what the actual import of doing that is. Like, I think it's, it comes much more so than with movies, even like, uh, people are very naturally just assume that you're going to watch something. And if you're going to watch something, you're going to watch, you know, you got to watch this show because it's really like cool. And it really arrives at these themes that are important and that kind of thing. But it never, yeah. but I, I never really understood that because I don't watch TV. <laughs> I watch sports, you know, I watch like, I, I still watch like stuff that would be on television today, but I just watch it on like a computer. Mm-hmm. And there's no real impetus for me to really buy like an HBO subscription. I can't really see myself doing that. And like in the absence of like comedy or something on Netflix, I wouldn't really get a Netflix subscription. Like I don't really see the point of doing that. Um, because I could get movies elsewhere and I can get, I mean, if I really wanted to, I could get pretty much everything on there. I could get elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I can't really get is like an access to these like really big budget or, you know, not big budget. Sometimes they're pretty cheap uh, TV shows that are narrative, narrative drama kind of and comedy TV shows. Um, yeah. And today I, I don't really know what the point of that is. And I find it very odd to kind of see it sort of still there. Kind of lingering on since the 90s after like i think i don't know i don't know if people still watch that stuff and yeah i think yeah i i feel like uh it's interesting because you know that's that's you're like both i think both you and i think of it as there's like some sort of threshold where you kind of have to be like okay why should i bother watching this or something like that kind of thing it's like there's no assumption that you're just going to be watching something kind of thing it's like it's like a kind of like it has to, you have to be kind of funneled into okay this is a good way to spend my time I'm going to watch some TV now and it's going to be this particular program that I'm excited to watch or something like that kind of thing uh, I, I, as you said like that especially amongst older people it's completely flipped it's like they know they're going to be watching you know 5 6 7 hours of TV a day or something like that and it's going to be just you know a lot of the time still what's on at any given time kind of thing on the thing maybe it'll be sports maybe it'll be like i mean a lot of the tv shows are are still very very safe kind of things like ncis or law and order and all that kind of stuff right like it's just very straightforward formulaic and all that kind of stuff and uh modern family i guess and all those things um but what's strange for me about like you know maybe skewing a bit younger like you know millennials and zoomers and all that is that I see a lot of memes all the time that are like, if you're running out of stuff to watch on Netflix and stuff, and I, that terrifies yeah. me to some extent because I'm like, how can yeah. you be running out of stuff to watch like in terms of just because they're talking about people that are just, you know, just have it on all the time. Then I guess you know, or mm-hmm. something like they're just watching dozens of shows and you know, uh, across many different services and stuff like that. And I have no. I don't know. I feel like I'm completely over that. Like in terms of that is a very strange thing. I still have that maybe to some extent with movies. Like, you know, I'll, I'll sort of keep a track on what is coming out and stuff a bit and maybe sort of prioritize certain ones and all that kind of thing. But even then it's like, you know, that's like maybe one or two movies a month or something. It's not like, 
I'm not watching like 10 movies a month now at this point kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's something strange there about this assumption that you're just going to be funneling, you know, just watching like dozens of hours of content a month. And, uh, it's, it's like, well, I just got to prioritize the ones that sort of fit my lifestyle in some way. And then I guess with the articles and stuff, a lot of that is just, it's like driving engagement about themes because the themes pull in more people than the actual show maybe, or something like that. I don't know. Like, it's like, it's like skimming off people from trying to like, you know, just relate things to like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like trying Hmm. trying to be like, kind of like pseudo political or something like that um, as a way of getting people to commit to read to things and stuff like that, or share them at least share, I guess, because I don't, I don't think a lot of those articles are actually being read by many people. That's the other thing too. I think that they're probably just sort of ephemera that have to be produced because of the way that the blogs work and stuff. And those blogs are not, you know, even for like New York times or all those other ones, like, I don't think that they're actually that profitable, you know, like in terms of, it's almost like just like a thing that has to happen or something as part of the operation or something. It's just kind of there. A lot of them probably lose money. So, yeah, I think it like adds value to the other products. Like they, in themselves, they're not really profitable, but they're, you know, a lot of those things are like, like what Washington post is like owned by Jeff Bezos and stuff. I'm sure a lot of these things have like the people at the top making decisions are more interested in like, making their other businesses more profitable using media to do that. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of mm-hmm. part of it. Drawing attention to their, their shows and movies and stuff. That's true. I think that's, that's definitely like part of it is that I, I don't think anyone operates under like illusion that, I don't know, the New Yorker is this great profit making vehicle mm-hmm. or like the TV column of the New Yorker really adds to the value of, whatever the magazine is to the advertisers. But another thing is like, if you actually read these things and I used to kind of browse a lot of like culture, like review uh, websites. I never really read TV stuff because I don't watch TV. So I don't really, I don't really catch up. Uh, I don't, I I can't really relate to any of that. But if you look at like Emily Nussbaum's page on the New Yorker and I, the reason why I kind of decided I wanted to do this is because I picked up her book uh, for like 20 minutes when I was in the bookstore and I, I just read her there's an article that she made like into the main like the chief essay of the book which is called I think in the in the New Yorker the article in the New Yorker was called Cahier du Buffy but uh, in the collection it's called something like how Buffy explains the television boom or something like huge and wieldy title but what she what her point is that um, television used to be this kind of niche and very, uh, I guess it was like the snobs looked down on television, and she was one of those snobs, like when she was in grad school for literature. And one day she watched Buffy, and it kind of blew her mind, and uh, I don't know, tore all the all the backstops off. And she started writing about Buffy all the time, and started writing about television all the time. And uh, I don't know, that, that that struck me as a very funny attitude, but. Uh, which is that like, you know, uh, television, especially compared to film, which is one of her chief comparisons. That's why the article is called Cahier du Buffy is because Cahier du Cinema is like this high minded thing. But uh, television, like film itself is like a kind of a not really seen as a real art. I think like you don't really see, especially commercial television 
or television or, or film, commercial film, you don't really see it like in the same way that you see painting. But what was strange about it is that this kind of attitude of like, well, I was right. And I think the subtitle of her book is something like uh, arguing her way through the television revolution. And her like big thesis throughout the book is that she was right, basically. She won the debate by making television like legitimate art form, something that people can really, you know, like read like a novel or enjoy like a painting or, uh, I don't know, sublimate like uh, music or something. It's just she kind of oversaw that shift, the cultural shift from television being uh, really like maligned to it becoming like one of the things that everyone accepts, like The Sopranos is really good or um, I guess Buffy is really good. Uh, But whenever I read like actual articles about like a a given show, I don't really, I don't get what they get. Like I don't get what she gets. Like I look at her page and now she's like, she has something like, uh, uh, I think like the Fiona Apple's Art of Radical Sensitivity. That's about a singer, like that's music. But that's not about the music. (laughs) It's like, well, you know, there's this other thing that connects to this person's work. And whenever that's done with television, I never really understand what they're saying. Like, I don't really know, like, what the, you know, like, the feminism or, like, what Chernobyl says about politics or TV's reckoning, you know, like, Tuka and Bertie's reckoning with Me Too. Like, none of that stuff, I don't think, like, it kind of comes in externally to explain why you would watch this stuff. Like, you know, I understand why you're interested in Me Too. Again, like, there are two things. There's Me Too and there's television. And... One is, I guess, the television is supposed to kind of elucidate what's going on out there in the world. But uh, I don't really see how that happens when you just sit down and watch it. Like, I don't really see what the magical kind of connection is between these things. And there's almost never, if you read those one of those things, there's never an explanation of what makes television good. Like, there's never, like, an explanation of what, like, the experience of watching it outside of, like, reading Twitter, you know, outside of talking to other people about, like, this other thing like uh, other than a conversation starter i don't really see what role television itself plays which is kind of ironic because the whole point of the book is that television is a kind of a its own art form and it's supposed to be like have its own criteria of what it means but in reality i think every single piece on television whenever i read it is not really about television or in the experience of watching television or what makes like a good show how a good show is made other than these really clear and obvious things that the writers like put in like little little nods to bernie bros or to uh feminism or to you know uh other things that are like out there in the world that people already care about mm-hmm. yeah like it it, re- it refers to things but it doesn't seem to add much it doesn't seem to even even at like the level of like some sort of visceral recognition or something like that kind of thing where you're like oh that really taught me about that subject in a new way or something like that most of the time it just seems like especially for those like cartoon shows like you're kind of talking about like it just seems to be like oh someone mentioned depression or something like that kind of thing it doesn't seem to be like digging into it in any way it just seems to be like here are the keywords that you have visceral response to or something so yeah 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 and and putting them kind of in the context of a cartoon that is you know it's not a kid's cartoon it's sort of like supposed to like there's this inherent like juxtaposition just in the premise of the show and then like kind of putting it in with all these like 
topical subjects that are also like very adult and everything. I, I think that's almost the entire purpose of that. It's just to give you the experience of like, this is a cartoon, but it's talking about adult stuff. Isn't that interesting? And that, I think that's kind of, you know, the extent that that really goes like to some people that's interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing that's actually uh, kind of connects to the point of my experiment is that all these shows, like even these very high budget shows, they kind of follow the same blueprint of how an episode goes, even though they're not like the same length. They're all kind of the same thing happens in all of them, which is that there's a lot of information that you get in a, like an average TV show, a lot more than like almost in a movie. Each episode kind of has to give you like backstories of these, all these characters and all these subplots. And none of that really matters, I don't think, like significantly, but because there has to be some stuff in the episode, they have to just add stuff. I don't know. Um, Adorno used to talk about how, uh, like, these popular novels that people used to write, like uh, Dumas, would write, like, a novel about, you know, I don't know, a guy goes off and, you know, like, Canto Monte Cristo, he gets kind of put away in, into prison and then comes back. But, you know, the basic plot you kind of know, but there's all these other things, like his, you know, kind of homeowner, when he comes back and becomes rich, his homeowner has, like, his own subplot. Like the people he's like with all the time, they all have their own subplots. There's this great widening of plot that, you know, you can't really keep the theme still because you can't really like be pounding the same thing over and over. It just kind of feels like a lot of details are being added. And I think the same thing is true of, of TV is that like there's all these details that come in. But the way they come in is through like very boring kind of storytelling <laughs> it's the most obvious thing which is that two people are doing like a task like driving or walking you know kind of sorkin walk and talk they just uh two people two characters meet each other face to face and they just start saying what happened off screen and that like in every show i watched that was all of the tv show is that like they just kind of two people just kind of talk about something else that happened before uh and they don't really you don't really see people like uncovering something or I don't know, like uh, like all these like things that movies usually do for you to actually see something happening as opposed to hear it. None of that actually, like none of those inhibitions of storytelling exist in television because you got to pound all this information into people, like what well, the backstories for all the characters. So yeah, like every TV show, like the, all the three episodes that I saw, 99% of those was like a guy picks up his girlfriend or his friend and they kind of chat basically. <laughs> and then that little beat ends and then he meets the, the main character goes to another place and chats with someone else and that beat mm-hmm. ends and there was almost no action in the sense of like there was no non-dialogue kind of things happening maybe in like a season finale or season kind of premiere there's more of that but most of it was told through this capsule like very small dollops of, of dialogue exposition and there were no like inhibitions about that that's just the way people kind of talk and what was what was being dolloped out in those little scenes was, on the one hand, there was like completely, to me, irrelevant and kind of meaningless plot information. But also they would kind of touch on these themes of like, oh, you know, like in Dickinson, they would talk about like, oh, this, uh, women are really being oppressed. <laughs> like they would literally say something like that. Or like mm-hmm. a woman's opinion is not being counted. I'm working all this you know, stuff in the kitchen and no one really listens to what I have to say about the war or something. And... Uh, there's just no, you don't get that information kind of extemporaneously as you watch someone do something. Like you wouldn't really, 
you you would understand that you know that was actually happening if you saw her being like ignored or something and you would understand the meaning of that but it's being reinforced through dialogue like it being really explicitly and expressly reinforced it's her saying like oh yeah i am being oppressed or someone else saying like oh yeah i am like a you know like being uh, i have an opiate addiction or something which is kind of funny because i think this stuff was almost premiered by the sopranos like the sopranos the central like uh, bit of the sopranos was like the mobster guy this uh, tony soprano talks about to his therapist and that's when he kind of announces what the theme of the episode is like every time yeah and it's very obvious what like you if you actually saw the episode without those scenes taken out you'd still understand what was going on but it kind of explains his like character background and understanding of like why he does certain things but you know I don't really know like the point of that ever, except that it does provide a fodder for, you know, you could actually like, it, it becomes a conversation starter. Those things, like those themes are already like in the action of the show, like, uh, you know, um, I guess diegetic action other than dialogue. But then the themes get excavated and really chewed on in dialogue. And then they get like, usually there's like a theme and there's a little joke and there's a little plot detail. And that's, all of that's getting conveyed in these small dialogue, face-to-face scenes. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're spot on. Um, I, I, I agree with all that. I think that, um, I don't know, as you have been talking about this, I've sort of been thinking about what, you know, I don't know, I have some ideas about why this works the way it works, why they do this this way. And I don't know, I, at first I was like, ah, this is probably too cynical a take. But then the more you talk, I'm like, no, I'm not cynical enough about this. This is like <laughs> getting worse and worse in my mind. I, I think that a lot of this stuff is, um, I think you're you're on point with saying that Sopranos started it. Uh, I, I think Sopranos, I mean, now it's incredibly overhyped and like it's, you know, people say it's like the best TV show ever. I thought it was like fine, but there was a lot of stuff that I thought was kind of stupid in it. And a lot of it is this sort of thing that you're, you're describing. I, I think those moments of like really shoving it in your face and just having someone explicitly say, this is the theme of this show almost, you know, like just kind of coming out and saying it like that or having these like kind of pointless conversations that just tie in these like topical subjects and stuff. I think that's there to give you as a viewer, like the experience of I'm watching a show that discusses these things this is an interesting thought-provoking show you know it's it's not really about doing something with the show itself or it's not even really about discussing those topics like they don't really have anything to say about that stuff yeah that's true yeah. you know like even like sopranos like people will say things about like how it dealt with 9-11 or whatever because he picks up a newspaper or something like to me i never understood what the big deal like he picks up a newspaper that announces 9-11 and then he just walks back in the house like I get that that's like the statement is supposed to be like, okay, he's back to the, I mean, I don't even know, to be honest, I don't really know what that was supposed to be or what people get out of that. Uh, But it's just like putting it in there so that you kind of, it's very, uh, you know, you know, this term midwit, have you guys heard of this? Yeah. No. It's sort of like, um, you know, like middle brow, I guess, basically is what it is. It's, uh, you can, you can eat your fast food kind of art you know television is basically like fast food sort of stuff but it doesn't feel like you're totally slumming it it's not like super low class it still has the airs of like this is like intellectual creative like serious artistic work or something but it's not like 
challenging or difficult or or even boring you know like a lot of that kind of stuff can be like it's not uh pretentious or whatever i mean it is but it doesn't feel like that because it's television it's a cop show it's a mobster show it's a cartoon or comedy or something you kind of have it both ways without any real substance you just get the like experience of i watched something that was fun or whatever it was engaging on like a basic this is just like you know past the time entertainment but it also wasn't just like me just like sitting on the couch wasting an hour of my life it was you know i actually like it engaged with with the real world it like said something about things what it actually said you couldn't really put your finger on you couldn't describe it exactly but it it definitely said something right like it feels like that so I, i think that's what a lot of that is and then these articles and stuff are there to to establish that context of like these tv shows are not just it's not just a a cop with a philly accent that's to me it seems to be the whole premise of that that one show uh but this like means something it says something about like working class america or something you know like well what does it say about working class america exactly you know Mm -hmm. that part is missing but the idea that you can watch this show and it will tell you something about that. You'll learn something about that. You're like an intelligent kind of engaged person for watching it. That is an experience you'll get, but you won't get any real substance from it. Yeah, that's definitely kind of my uh, take on like prestige TV. One of the things that they say about prestige TV, like Sopranos and the wire and all that stuff is that it has like, finally like television looks cinematic it looks like a movie or something and that's Mm -hmm. actually a big thing for emily nussbaum is because like whenever i read the book it always says like oh yeah this is just like a movie you're like watching a long movie or reading a long novel because like finally we kind of broke out of this like i don't know the i love lucy spell of, of television like everything just looks the same and feels the same everything looks like it was you know made very cheaply and poorly but it doesn't look very good. Like, I don't know. Like, I remember watching the first season of Game of Thrones. And it was just like, I don't know if they will actually release that version on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever or on streaming. Maybe they'll like update it. But it looked bad. Like, it looked like it looked like uh, all the special effects looked like video games. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Ex- yeah, I remember thinking the same thing, actually. Like, video games look better than whatever they were doing with CGI. And look better at the time. And the costumes look like, you know, like, you know, kind of community theater costumes. Like, they look good, you know, like, they look fine. But they don't look like someone put a ton of money into the show to, you know, like, none of that looks good. None of it looks like something that's kind of interesting or special. It just looks like an imitation of something else. Well, I I think you're right with Game of Thrones. But, like, I, I think she's making a fair point there with something like Twin Peaks, I think, was the first show. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. But my impression is that Twin Peaks was, like, the first show that kind of, you know, did the cinematic look kind of a thing. I think it was, like, on film. It was one of the first TV shows that was shot on film or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, but, but, um, but you know, Sopranos kind of does it a little bit. Like, I, I get the point she's making there. Well, I mean, from my point of view, like Twin Peaks, I think it looks like a TV show because I think it's meant to be like a TV show. It's meant to like make all these references to TV shows. And it has like these little moments where there are like cinematic things going on. But if you watch like yeah. if you did the way I watched like these shows, if you pick one one season or like one episode in the middle of Twin Peaks and watch it, it looks exactly like a soap. 
because it's meant yeah whether or not you get a david lynch directed episode basically i guess oh and even david lynch ones like i think a lot of them kind of he's still kind of i think very consciously tries to kind of go back to what the television Mm. looked like yeah 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 he's doing you know he's kind of doing it both ways yeah and like a lot of david lynch movies look like they were like television things but like i don't really get what this like for sopranos i don't really get what's so cinematic about the sopranos other than like it looks like a kind of a mobster movie which is okay it looks like a a calc or like a a copy of something made before which is a lot of tv it looks like something that was made before it basically uh by someone else with an original vision typically and that's true but i don't really see how that's cinematic in the sense of like you can make something that looks like a movie right but if you put out like what the sopranos is like into theaters like as a you know without the name recognition that it has people kind of laugh at it because it's not or you know some people laugh at it i would laugh at it because it's it's not like it doesn't look like a movie like it doesn't have uh anything original to it like to the look of it it just looks like people talking to each other and um i think like the red letter media bit used to be like shot reverse shot there used to be a bit like in uh the way um Phantom Menace, I think, and like a lot of the Lucas made uh, prequels, a lot of information was delivered by these really small dialogue scenes where there would be just two people looking at each other and shot in like very simple sequence where like there was just one person talking and the camera switches to the other person talking. And that's how like all of television is, is like one person talks to the other person about like something else going on. Like there's something other than what's going on on the screen at the time. And just kind of delivering information to you in different bits. And that seems yeah. to be like the dominant, like if you sit down in front of television and, or in front of your streaming device and you watch two hours of TV, 99% of that would be you watching two people talk to each other, um, which is what I did. And it's just kind of like, I don't get what's so good, like what, what happened with The Sopranos. For people like, I think, Nussbaum and other kind of TV critics, there was like a break uh around the time of the sopranos where tv went cinematic like where like people came in who actually had like something to say about the way things supposed to look you know kind of visual style and touch but all it did is that like lighting is slightly better in the sopranos it looks kind of moody and it kind of reminds you of goodfellas but it's still like you know what that what those like little effects do is that they still show two people talking to each other uh, as they walk or as they drive or as they kind of discuss their, you know, uh, affairs. But it, well, oh, go ahead. Like uh, large parts of it are like that, I think. Uh, like I agree with you there, but I, I don't think it's fair. To, like, maybe Sopranos is just not a good example of this because I think the point you're making is pretty valid. Like I think that's true of a lot of different things. But I, I do think that there are a lot of scenes in the Sopranos where, you know, especially the stuff where they're like, there's some kind of violence or whatever. Like it's not just all on the same place, you know, like they do have sort of like, you know, the house where Tony lives with his family. And that's kind of like, you know, that's very similar to like just standard television and stuff. And like, when they're at the shop, you know, but then like they go out and out to the, uh, the woods, you know, they did that one episode there. They have episodes like there's the one where he like, I think this is like in the first one where he like chases down the guy in his car, like across the lawn in front of his office and stuff and like beats him up and all this kind of stuff. Like that's, that's a break from regular TV, I would say. I mean, 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think things do happen in TV shows. I just think that like the dominant like experience, if you actually threw a dart at someone watching, you know, TV at a timeline, you would be watching two people talking, and you'd be watching people. Sure. It would be very much similar to the way it used to be, which is that you would have like even in the fifties in the serials, you would have little bits of action, but action would be uh, like interleaved between the moments of action there would be these hours and hours of people kind of a very boring static camera people standing in front of each other and just kind of delivering lines and um it's just i don't know like it it doesn't excite you or you know it doesn't really tell you anything it's just kind of like someone lecturing you about you know what's what's current today well i mean that can be done well actually i think like that 70s show you know when they're in the basement and it's like they smoked weed. Mm-hmm. They don't really show them smoking weed, but like that's the obvious implication. And it kind of like zooms from, you know, around in a circle. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, I remember that 70 show, yeah. That, I think that does that pretty well, you know? Like that, that's a very like standard sitcom, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not trying to do anything, you know, middle brow or, or trying to like uh, transcend the medium or anything like that. It's just trying to be like a fun sitcom, but that like way they do that, I think that is like uh it's buying into that trope, you know, it's like well, maybe not totally self-aware. I don't really know like to what level the writers were thinking about that, but it, it seems clear. Like they understood, like this is a part of TV. This is something that works on TV. And they kind of made that, you know, because they're like stone, right? So it's sort of like disconnected a little bit as it goes from one guy to the next. And they just say different things or maybe they are conversing a little bit. But you get your jokes in. You kind of like touch on different subjects or whatever. Like, you know, they're not trying to say anything grand or whatever. But I, I think like uh, that it, it just feels a little bit like you're criticizing TV for being TV a little bit. When I think, um, you know, it's one thing to say like people are saying this kind of show is more than TV or that it's doing something different from what TV usually does, but it's not. That's saying one thing. But then there's another thing in saying that TV is bad because it's TV. I I mean, you can have that opinion, but I I think like, uh, you know, TV can be done well on its own kind of terms, you know? Yeah, I can see that argument, but I don't really see what the terms of the TV are. Like, I think what's what's good about that 70s show is that it's funny. Like, there are funny, like, lines. And I remember, like, those scenes. I remember, uh, I remember, like, I don't know. There was action. They had action. Like, when Kelso bought the van and he brought, like, girls to the van. I remember that. But, like, it was funny. It was just, like, that's what, that's what made it good. But mm-hmm. those, like, the way that it was filmed and framed was obviously just, like, kind of hackneyed and not very, you know, it wasn't yeah sure sure like but everyone understands that that's the way it's like things are done it's not you know there's no like pretensions made uh right right which is fine but then like you know like the experience of watching that i think it would be very uniform like you just kind of sit down and you just see people kind of shoot like kind of funny lines like funny people comedians shoot funny lines at each other uh which is you know that i can understand the the kind of uh the appeal of that but I don't really see like how that's like really, you know, like would I really want to spend, I don't know, eight hours of my day like doing that, watching that. Like I, I would say no, like I wouldn't, you know, I would watch like maybe 30 minutes of it. Uh, 
Yeah, I guess that that's part of what I was thinking about uh, before we recorded and stuff. I was thinking about like how, you know, like what is it for kind of thing is, is part of it, which like it's like what uh, and I think that like, yeah, if you're if you're trying to I think for most people, that's just not a issue. It's like, well, I'll just relax, watch some TV or something like that. But if you're trying to think about critically about it, you're like, OK, what am I you know, what what do I want out of this experience kind of thing? Uh that's where I start to get, I feel a bit alienated from a lot of other people with it because I'm kind of like, I, I don't know. I like, I, I'll, I'll watch stuff. I watched Deadwood. I thought that was really good and uh, a few other things, but it does feel like uh, strange when like even Deadwood, it, it, it was a lot of fun, but it's like, and, it, and it's, you know, well-written and stuff most of the time, but it's like, it still feels like very, very cheesy to me. And like, it's, it's very low level, kind of like joking and, you learn kind of like it's it's you know it's certain interesting things about like the opening of the west and all that kind of stuff but like uh i don't know it, it feels like uh very very like still trivial at some level kind of thing it's like you know and that's probably like the closest to the best kind of television that there is as like just a thing for me to enjoy and learn and and have fun and stuff and um but like most things i don't know it's just it's yeah, I, I don't know. It's strange because that's changed over time for me because I used to be able to watch just hours and hours, you know, of anything. Uh, it was just like what you did kind of thing. And I think there's lots of people that are still locked into that kind of mode. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's shifting over to other things now where people will just watch TikTok for hours and stuff like that, I guess. But like in uh, um, YouTube, but like... And, and podcasts. I was thinking I about guess how I, podcasts have changed. That's kind of true, changed. though. Yeah, like, it's like... Uh, because, like, you know, yeah. every week or whatever, you get a podcast episode you listen to, and, like, the ones you, you know, you have your favorites, and you're kind of, like, excited when they come out with a new episode and stuff. That, that sort of feels like how it used to be with TV, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess I do listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, and, um, yeah, I think that's a strange thing, though. It's like... I don't know. I, I always feel like I'm missing something. It's like even Sopranos, it's like it's pretty good. I, I guess maybe I'm even feeling like that about a lot of movies too, where it's like, you know, I really enjoyed watching The Irishman, but it's kind of like stuff like that. Like, is it, you know, it's, it's, it's like, okay, well, I don't know, like making it more than what it is or something like that. It's, it's like, I don't know, it feels very, it all, it all always feels a bit cheesy and weird and stuff, a lot of these movies and, and shows. And it's like, I don't know. I always feel like I'm missing something that there's there's some common element that people respect that I just don't get. So yeah, yeah, and I, th yeah. I think like um, for a lot of cultures that maybe the voice that you get talking about it is always the voice of like the reviewer, and their perspective is um, again like I think they are very fairly like partisan. Like they're people very invested in in having like the enterprise of television and television journalism going on. So you don't really see like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Emily Nussbaum or any anyone like that would bite the hand that feeds yeah, very much. Like they wouldn't go like, well, you know, it's, all of this is kind of boring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I remember watching The Sopranos yeah. and I distinctly remember I just had in my head, this is the best show ever made. So I got to really like enjoy it. And I really got to like sit through, you know, like all the boring shit that happens and there's going to be fun stuff like some somewhere. And there is fun stuff every now and then. But I just remember like a lot of it was like, well, you know, here's another thing that happens to, you know, Tony and Tony has a problem and he solves it in the at the end of the episode. And it's like, you know, like 
it's filmed just like any other TV show and it looks just like any other TV show, but it has like little bits and pieces that are quality. Uh, and I think the same thing is true for Twin Peaks. I think like if you watch the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, uh, it's definitely like, you know, you're watching it with the expectation that at some point something good will happen because this is the greatest TV show ever made. I think the third season is very different because there's no like even pretense of this being like television. It's just like kind of crazy stuff that happens. But for the first two seasons, if you like sit down and watch those, like a lot of it is just a slog and it doesn't feel like, oh yeah, I'm watching art or I'm being experiencing something that's elevated that a lot of people kind of put a ton of effort into. Uh, you're watching like, I don't know, like people kind of not really giving a shit about like whether or not it looks original or good or interesting. It just looks the same as anything else. Uh, and it depicts two people talking to each other and saying like these stupid lines. And um, I don't really know what like what I'm supposed to like. I don't get what these other people getting are getting from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't excavate like, well, here's what it really says about 80s culture or like the Sopranos. Here's what it says about the, you know, George W. Bush presidency. None of that came in through me. Like I did not get any of that. Instead, I just got the little the kind of very basic story and like kind of odd bit, bits and pieces, like little quotes and stuff. It was funny. It was like, you know, um, yeah, it was fine. But I don't really remember much about The Sopranos. I don't really, you know, those bits that Tom mentioned, those are probably the bits I remember. Like, you know, kind of the very first, like when he kind of chases a guy down the lawn or when he like chokes the, uh, you know, when they go meadow, they go to the tour of the of the colleges, and he like chokes a guy, and then maybe a couple of more bits from like season season finales, but everything mm-hmm. else, like the the vast like pool of that show, just vanished, <laughs> like because yeah. it's the same. Yeah, it's just they sit mm-hmm. around, they kind of they you know, there's a guy that challenges Tony for whatever reason, and they're just in a rivalry with him, and nothing happens really fundamentally. And I think, like, I didn't actually finish The Sopranos, I don't think. I, I watched, like, the up to the last season, I think. And I just kind of gave up. And from what I understand, like, nothing really, like, changes fundamentally. Like, his family is fine. Nobody, you know. And then it just kind of comes to an end. And, but... Yeah. And I think that was, like, a big thing is that, like, well, the show, just what was the upshot of this? It just kind of ends very suddenly. But to me, it it, it kind of that's probably the fitting end for it because it was just the same thing over and over. Like, uh, I think like after you've discovered your, like, I don't know, like the Sopranos like phenomenon, it doesn't really like, it just, it, it kind of plays the hits. It just kind of goes through the little mm-hmm. motions and it, sure. and like at its like most like, cinematic or at the most interesting, it's just kind of like, it's a little bit like Goodfellas or something or a little bit like Casino. Sure. Is that it's, or a bit, a little bit like the Irishman, I guess, is that like, it's just, kind of it's aping these other things it's putting things into people's mouths like things that uh, like a mobster wouldn't say right he kind of talks like you know uh he talks about things that normal i guess i don't know i don't know i've never actually talked to like a new jersey mobster but i don't imagine that they talk about like anxiety and stuff like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not good like it's i mean i don't know it's probably better than any other tv show i probably agree with that that it was probably the best tv show because you know even that is kind of raising the bar too high for most tv but what exactly is it that we got out of it other than like kind of it was kind of entertaining a little bit more than it like raised the bar a little bit um yeah 
the, yeah, the first the first time that I had kind of had that experience was with uh, the Wire, where it's like uh, that is like obviously very widely praised and really. But the thing that was interesting was that people kept saying talking about it as if it was like realistic, I guess, mostly because it like uses um, non professional actors for some of the roles and stuff, I guess. But like the it had that like this idea that like that it was like this is what the drug war is like or something kind of thing or something or like this is what police in a big city is like or something yeah. that was like i the, remember people yeah. comparing it to like journalism mm. like yeah. it was a, almost a form of journalism and if you watch the show it is just pretty much a, it's it, it's it's a fun it's a fun cop show it's just it's just right. or, or something yeah. similar to that and it's like it's just uh there is so much cheese in it just like and not just that but like you know the the depiction of gangsters and stuff and and that it's not it's not really that much different than any other tv show really you know like uh they're, they're still you know like the, their their characterization of of you know just black gangsters and stuff like that it's not really you know it's it's not it, it's a bit cheesy it's a bit like over the top and and uh you know they're showing people being very calculating and uh, a bit silly and stuff like that but i don't i don't understand why that is like leaps and bounds beyond anything else or something like that so i guess the other thing is that like uh um uh even like breaking bad i watched a few seasons of that and I, I liked it but it's like you know again it's like people are like oh this is like a gritty realistic kind of show or something like that and to me it's the exact opposite it's like just total yeah. mayhem silliness <laughs> It's an action uh, movie. Basically. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, like and and the the uh like Latino gangsters in it are just so silly and over the top and and uh you know, just really really like I, I don't know, like they they would be they would fit into like any 80s action movie or something like that too. Like it just yeah. really really straightforward. And I I I said that uh I said that to someone uh um, that is uh, Latino, and they said, "Yeah, but at least like they're in it. Most shows they don't you don't even have that kind of thing." So I, it was kind of funny because <laughs> I thought I thought I was being like sympathetic or something by being like, "Man, there's just these weird gangsters in it that that," uh, and they were just like, "Yeah, that's not uh, <laughs> 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 that, you know. At least they're getting job work kind of thing." Kind of thing. So I don't know. That's true. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, speaking so, of yeah. speaking of Breaking Bad. Uh, I tried watching Better Call Saul the other day. I didn't watch Breaking the Bad. You know, I tried like five or six times, I think. And I just couldn't make it through the first season. Like, it's just boring slog. And I tried. The first season's pretty slow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, I don't know. Like, I just don't care. But uh, the- it, it kind of becomes Breaking Bad after like the th- in the third season. It kind of goes full tilt. Oh, yeah. Breaking after Bad you invest style. 60 hours of your time, it becomes really good. Yeah, I mean, you could even just skip ahead to that if you really wanted to. Oh. Well, I tried uh, Better Call Saul, R.I.P. Bob Odenkirk. Uh, yeah. great, <laughs> Rest in power. Yeah. Great talent. Uh, but it's really just like nothing. Like it's it's. I mean, maybe Breaking Bad is more realistic, but this, like, I mean, Better Call Saul is like like on on a planet, like on a different planet. Like it's just like. This is not how people look or act, uh, which is okay. It's fine, but it's also I don't yeah I don't really I can't really get the other stuff that's supposed to be there. Like I understand that 
if I had this on TV, maybe I'd watch it again, like back in the age where I watch a lot of TV. But today, I don't. I just don't see myself investing like for six seasons or whatever, however many it is. Uh, just watching, you know, kind of fairly mediocre kind of drama, um, mm-hmm. which is like you invest so much. Like it's it's compared to a movie, right? Uh, American TV shows like run forever. Like you could watch like. 30 movies or something instead of watching a tv show and mm-hmm. just don't see like why you would do that <laughs> or i don't know well i think i like i enjoy better call saul i enjoy breaking bad i like the sopranos well enough um twin peaks i really like i think twin peaks really pays off with the final episode i think like it kind of made it all worth it with that last episode in the last episode of the second season i actually haven't seen the third mm. season but like I also think I have like kind of low expectations for it. Like Breaking Bad, um, it's kind of funny because I think like like I recently rewatched Breaking Bad. Uh, when I first watched it, I was more um, I don't know. I kind of bought into a little bit more of the like this is a gritty like drama sort of a thing. And on rewatching, I was like, oh no, this is just a like a really well paced action movie with. Uh, I don't know. I think a lot of these shows work with on the basis of good acting, like from the leads, uh, where you, you you like like seeing certain characters. Like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul both have that um, Mike character, the bald mm. older guy. Yeah, the guy that's like the he's great. I love him. Like he should have his own show. Like he like I just like watching anything that that would have that character. So like that would be enough for me. Um, but Breaking Bad kind of like it has the this pacing where every episode it kind of like just ramps it up and then picks it up from like right where it left off and then continues to ramp up and it just does that episode after episode. I think that's really fun. Um, I don't think that's some sort of like illuminating artistic experience or something, but it's it's a lot of fun. Like I, I think that's great. Uh, Better Call Saul is kind of like it. I don't know. I, I, if you like the character, like Saul, it's got Mike in there. It's got Gus. Uh, it's sort of just like, um, I don't know. It takes all your favorite characters from Breaking Bad and shows you more of it, you know? So like, you know, what's not to love about that, I guess. Uh, like I recently watched uh, Peaky Blinders and Ozark. Um, I don't watch like a ton of TV, but every once in a while I'll pick some series and if it kind of engages me enough, I'll just continue watching it. Those are both pretty mediocre, I think. Peaky Blinders really suffers from a lot of the stuff you've been describing, Ed, where it's people talking and then like kind of filler and the way they fill up the time in between these scenes of just people talking in Peaky Blinders is they have them walk in slow motion with like modern rock music playing. And that happens like literally that will happen like three times an episode where they in slow motion smoking a cigarette in the dirty streets of of London of that time. And then next scene and they're talking about stuff. I I guess uh, I don't I don't really know why I continued to watch it. it. It sort of was like borderline like watchable. I think there was some fun stuff like they the way the one guy would always like shout like peaky fucking blinders i don't know that just was kind of like fun i guess um i i guess what i what i actually really enjoyed about that show was the way they depicted like the aristocracy and kind of like the upper class of society there's there's a lot of like cool stuff that i think is handled fairly well for a show like this between uh, about like like politics at the time right mm-hmm. like they have a uh, 
they have the uh, British fascist guy. I can't think of his name. Mosley. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Mosley. Yeah, like he's a pretty prominent character in the the last season, and um, they have like the communists and the you know the way that this gang is like working kind of on both sides with the with all the labor politics going on like that's done in a way that's like entertaining it's not sort of like clonking you over the head with like this is important political stuff like so that was like reasonably watchable and then uh just kind of like fun stuff with like assassinations but again it's like good acting from um sam neill he was like a the kind of like head police guy that was trying to like stamp out the communists and the gangs and stuff like that he was pretty good at, at, at that um you know sopranos obviously like james gandolfini's great in that um the wire had uh i thought mcnulty was really good and um omar right and uh what's the guy's name stringer bell and the other guy mm-hmm. uh, i don't know just like kind of engaging performances Breaking Bad has uh, Brian Cranston doing a good job and all the other characters I mentioned. Like, I, I think if you have something that is just like you're moving the plot forward in a way that's engaging just on a basic level, like it's just competent storytelling and you have some people doing a good job acting that they can kind of like pull you out of like, oh, I'm just watching these people talk and then it's next scene and then blah, blah, blah. And it's, oh, I just watched a, a stupid TV show. If if the acting is like just enough to kind of pull you out of that and the storytelling, the writing is, is competent enough to kind of like move things forward enough that you're not, you're not realizing what you're watching is just like a dumb TV show. I think it kind of like, it's doing its job and it's also like that will allow that whole illusion of like, this is uh, something more than a TV show to work. But it also is like, that makes it entertaining enough like that will it will just function as like a entertaining you know thing to watch Mm -hmm. sure but i think what that does i think like if you actually sit down and think about like what what you're watching it also kind of i think people a lot of times when they see something in culture they kind of switch into like how this was done kind of mode of thinking about it like you don't really think about the object that you're actually receiving you're looking at it like as if you were the writer or the actor and you, yeah, you're like, you think I'm doing that now? Yeah, yeah, like you're like from the point of view of the showrunners, how do you like capture the attention of someone? You know, like, well, you know, you need these types of actors that are really good at like being able to kind of masquerade what's going on or something like that. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, so they, I guess they like what you're saying is like they trick you kind of like, or they kind of they got you to care enough so that you would kind of watch the plot. Yeah, I, I mean, I think any kind of acting is basically trying to trick you into thinking that they're not acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of fundamental to it. Yeah, but, like, I think the, what, I don't know, like, I, I guess I'm not really, like, a huge fan of acting generally, but, like, what is it that, you know, like, why would you actually, like, spend time doing this otherwise? Like, because I think, like, we're beginning with the assumption that, like, kind of what we started with is that you're going to spend some time watching TV, so might as well watch this TV as opposed to that TV. But like, I don't know, I'd rather watch like video games or something. I'd rather watch like Counter-Strike. Like there's more stuff going on visually. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is how, more often how I spend my time. But every once in a while, you know, I would rather watch like a show. Just something that's like watchable, you know. <laughs> so like, you know, I mentioned I watched Ozark. I didn't really talk about it. But Ozark is kind of dumb. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's really weird and corny and the the dialogue is like really atrocious but the 
there's like the way the the story gets told there's there's not a lot of like super obvious like oh he's gonna run into this problem and then he's gonna do this to get around it and stuff it kind of like preempts that in like uh in ways that like i don't know like it keeps you from uh too easily predicting what's gonna happen next i guess mm. so I, I hear what you're saying about like seeing it from the point of view of like oh if i was the writer or if i was the actor or whatever I'm really not trying to do that. I guess this is just how I, you know, we're, we're trying to like think about these things critically. So this is how I'm able to do that. Maybe, maybe that's a, you know, a fault of mine or something, but um, that, that's just kind of what I can pick up on as like why it was uh, watchable enough for me to continue. was that the, the plot moved in a way that wasn't like super obvious mm-hmm. and it was like uh it was fun. Like, I guess I'm also like a sucker for anything to do with like organized crime, like all those documentaries they have on Netflix about like, it's kind of like guy version of true crime stories. You know, mm-hmm. they have all these like gangster documentaries and like serial killer stuff that isn't like, you know, there's some that are clearly geared towards women and there's some that are clearly geared towards men. I'm, I, I'm kind of a sucker for the, the male oriented ones. Yeah, and I, th- so I think like th- Ozark kind of hits that those notes. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. But I think still, uh, if you know, if television is something other than you know, like a YouTube video about like you know, coolest gangs in in London or something, or coolest gangs in America, which I think like a lot of the claims of television are that it's like elevated or at least has something else kind of to say about it. I think in reality, like you know, it is just that. It's just kind of like hitting on yeah. like no i agree thematic yeah. you know things that you would be interested in anyway like you know like i would read a book about you know organized crime or something or you know i would i would sit down and just watch a documentary or something about those but you know the way it kind of de- gets delivered in narrative tv it just seems like it's as if you you get like the experience of reading that book but delivered in a dialogue between two people um which is um, again that's probably fine. I don't think that's, you know, kind of, you know, sure. bad or anything. But I think as an aesthetic object, it's just not, it's just not there. Like, there's nothing there that I get. Uh, yeah, so you're sort of saying that maybe it doesn't rise to the level of, like, art that some of these writers claim that it does. Yeah, I, I think that's like, that's one of it. But also, like, I don't think it really rises to a level of, like, even good entertainment most of the time. I think if you ask people what they like about a TV show, usually it comes as this idea of like guilty pleasure. Like, you know, you kind of go like, well, you know, it's kind of a silly show, but I like this and this about it. And I think that a lot of this like new age of TV idea is that like actually, you know, these like little things that people watch, they're actually serious or like have like something weight to them and you don't have to be kind of defending them. You don't have to say that it's a guilty pleasure. You could just kind of say like, well, I like, you know, I like this and I like it because of this and this. But um, I don't think that stands up to scrutiny. It's just not even on the level of it being like a real like art or like, you know, something like Picasso or something. But it being like just something that you can defend properly or like something that you could really say like, well, the people making this really put in enough effort for me to not be ashamed of liking it. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that anything on tv like really rises to that okay well yeah that's fair i guess um i do have one more thing i want to say about peaky blinders that i enjoyed i just felt like maybe there's people out there that watch this and are like why aren't you mentioning this tom hardy's character 
in the show is really great. So that, that again is like one of these things like Breaking Bad has the Mike character that is just like, love it. I'll watch it. You know, even if he's only in there for like five minutes, I'll watch a whole episode for it just because I love that character so much. Tom Hardy's character in Peaky Blinders is like that. He plays this Jewish, British Jewish gangster who's kind of a, uh, sort of like crazy, sort of psychotic and kind of weird and stuff. And he does basically does his Bane voice oh, to do oh, it. That's good. Um, I don't know. It's fun. You know, like, again, like you've been saying, I'm not trying to say that it rises to anything, that it means anything. It's just kind of a fun thing. So, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, that sounds fun, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I might check it out actually. But yeah, even though I just ranted about TV, I might check it out. So for sure. I mean, I spend a, like a lot of time watching like Slay the Spire on Twitch or like <laughs> yeah, looking yeah. at crypto charts go up and down. Like I, I, I can spend time in, in worse ways than a TV show, you know, like I, I don't know if sure. like I'm getting a lot out of these other ways that I spend my time staring at screens. So like every once in a while, I'll change it up, throw on a show. If it has something in there that grabs me, great. Mm-hmm. But I totally agree the whole like pretensions to like art or whatever that some people are claiming are kind of like, it seems pretty self-serving. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe we're missing something. I don't know. I, yeah. Last time we did this about like a 24 movies and people got really mad. So I wonder, <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> wonder yeah. what'll happen this time. Sure. Um, okay. Do you want to do a few questions or what do you think? Sure. Let me pull them up. Okay. Um, all right, so let's do some questions. Uh, Donald is the goat of posting, but has he ever gotten the yips the middle of an international posting war and had to drop out? I think ever gotten the yips in the middle of a posting war. Um, I don't know. A lot of times I back down. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like a, if I'm, if I'm, uh, I don't know. People will sometimes reply to me. So I find that if like. Uh, more than one woman replies to me with Donald, just Donald. It's usually a bad sign. Usually means that like I've said something stupid. I um, take the exact opposite. With you, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay. Another one for you, Don. What appeals to Donald about Catholicism over other Christian denominations? Um, at this point, not much. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I guess like, uh, um, some of the stuff around, uh, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like some, some, some of the sort of law, like the, I don't, I don't know even what, like some of the, like the logic around like the theology in terms of, uh, um, like praying for other people and stuff like that. Like, uh, in the way that like, you know, praying for saints, I think, I think that's part of it is that I think that like, uh, you know, like when I read about like saints' lives and stuff like that, like I find that like there's a lot of value in that and the way that they look at things a lot of the time in that I find helpful and interesting. And, uh, but I don't know if that's actually like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of infrastructure around that, I guess, like in, in Catholicism around like the, you know, being a saint means this, that, and the other thing. I don't know if it's just, I don't, I don't know if I believe that as much anymore. Like, I think that it maybe is just like, these are ideal lives or like instructive lives or something like that. I don't know if there's actually like any sort of mystical, um, 
explanation kind of layered on top of that, that about like them being, having certain status in the church and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, like a lot of the other sort of denominations and stuff, uh, um, either have very, very similar views on a lot of things, like just in theory, or they kind of get into weird directions. Like we talked about it before, but like the United Church in Canada is sort of the largest mainline non-Anglican, non-Catholic church. And, you know, they have like a minister in Toronto or something like that, that for a while was, uh, I think they're still, I think she's still like, uh, ministering to a community or whatever. Um, and she said that she didn't believe in God, um, which stuff like that, like it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's just like an extreme case and that most of it is fine, but like, uh, they were like, they had like a debate about it as a congregation and we're kind of like, well, yeah, uh, we want to like respect her opinions or something. And I think there's something desirable about like the kind of Catholic thing of like, at the very least, they wouldn't allow that kind of thing. <laughs> They'd allow a lot of things, right. but they wouldn't allow that. And uh, there was like a, a moderator for the group, like the which is sort of like uh, a very very low level of saying their pope kind of thing. Uh, um, and he for a while was saying like back, I think this was like in the nineties or eighties or something. Uh, he was saying that like he didn't believe a lot of the basic theology around. Uh, Christianity kind of stuff like he was like well Jesus wasn't really the son of God and stuff and it's kind of like well yeah but at that point like what's the point of you know being like reciting the creed and all that kind of stuff it's like you're kind of you're kind of going off in a wild direction there I guess kind of thing so yeah um anyways I just mean like that that like there, there's all sorts of wacky uh things in terms of the actual churches kind of stuff like and obviously I'm not really that attracted to the more evangelical Pentecostal kind of stuff or, uh, you know, I mean, I don't really have much interest in kind of like the Anglican stuff. It just seems bizarre to me to have like a queen as your head of church or something like that. It just seems, I don't know. Yeah. So anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. This one says, Hey guys, I was wondering if either of you have a favorite or preferred style of toilet. Normal style, squat style, Central European with the inspection shelf style, or are you pretty much bognostic? Bognostic is good. Um, no, I yeah. just like the normal one. That was that was a strange thing in uh, China. I mean, maybe it's changed a bit, but like say at the school, like at in like sort of the older buildings, like if you walked into the the washroom, it was just basically uh, completely flat. Like, uh, there was no stalls or anything. There was just holes in the ground. And, uh, you would have, like, you, you take, like, if you're at school or something like that, you have your own toilet paper or whatever with you, um, that you just kind of carry around, uh, in your thing. And I think then you just put it in the wastebasket or something like that while you're done there. And, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have, it's like, uh maybe western shame complex or something like that like i couldn't squat down and do that i couldn't do that in front of because there's no there's no like barriers or anything so you're just kind of you're like well gotta go in there and do this or something like that i just have no very very strange to me so um and a lot of restaurants were like that obviously most restaurants had like just a squat pot kind of thing whatever but like that's a bit different than just like i don't know yeah 
maybe that's like a Freudian, you know, somehow, somehow that speaks ill of me or something, but it's just very, very strange. So, yeah. Yeah. They had, they had stuff like that in India where it was just like hole, <laughs> just a hole in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> little banana leaves on the side or whatever to cover it yeah. up afterwards. And then like a little trash can just where you can put whatever you wiped with. There's nothing in there for you to wipe with, but if you do happen to have something to wipe with, that's where you would put it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. This is where they're cooking um, the Delta variant. This is where that get cooked. Big <laughs> <laughs> pot. I yeah, I like the American style toilets pretty well, I guess. I, I think my favorite type of toilet is the ones in airplanes. They go like and like shoot it out like it sucks it out oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah sounds like it's firing a missile yeah i like to think of it like dropping a bomb on somebody i was like the Have you ever been yeah oh good no go ahead i was like the train ones the ones that just drop it down i was like, yeah, yeah yeah just like leaving a mine yeah. on the train train tracks have you ever be, have you ever been on like a mega bus they have like uh it's this bizarre thing where it's like you uh it's just it's basically like a just it's like a normal sort of toilet, but it's just a hole. There's no flushing. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just, there's a giant, like, well, well, large for a bus cistern of like this blue, strange liquid, which I guess yeah. acts as like a septic or something. And, uh, yeah, that's a very, very, uh, it's not a good experience. I don't know. That's like, that's a tough one. Um, I've I been also, on buses yeah. with bathrooms, but I've never, never had to go that bad that I would actually use them. <laughs> yeah. I have to go all the time. That's just, a, that's like a, I don't know, health thing, but like, uh, so I have to deal with a lot of, I used to, I, that kind of, that's one positive thing is it really beat out of me, uh, being, uh, too squeamish around the public restrooms and, you know, like I, I just, you know, I get to learn to which ones are the better ones and all that kind of stuff. And, um, anyways, but, uh, um, yeah. And then the other thing that I, I was going to say is that like, I think Trump, you know, is right on the low flow toilet kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, that's like yeah. a nightmare. I don't know. Yeah. Everything now is like, I like the, that's why I like the public ones where like you just, you uh, flush and it's just like a tornado kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those are the best ones. So, yeah. Bad for the environment probably, but you know, you got to make choices. So, yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of porta potties? Um, I don't know. Nightmares, I guess. Yeah. Most of the time. Strictly negative experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. They do have really fun names, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one I saw recently was called a Honey Bucket. Yeah, Honey Bucket. That's a big one. That's, that's um, in fun. Washington, they have uh, the Wizard of Ooze. <laughs> I thought oh, that was wow. pretty great. That's pretty good. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. They're like single use. Like whenever someone kind of messes up, <laughs> if there's like one fuck up then the whole thing just goes like that that one's unusable yeah 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 mm-hmm. and the, you know the classic like 80s movie prank of like tipping over the porta potty when someone's in it and stuff that just seems like uh it's nice to have that option you know i like that but that's like a a variable thrown into the whole toilet experiences like you know if somebody really doesn't like you and you're in a porta potty that might happen that seems I don't know. A little bit of fun <laughs> thrown in there. Uh, all right. Um, what do you guys think about guys like Aubrey de Grey and pals who are pursuing biological human immortality? 
regardless of whether it's possible, do you think it's a good goal for society to aim for? Um, I have no idea what, who that is or anything about this. Do you guys? Um, I don't know anything about it, but um, uh, I, I, it is it is kind of strange at some level that you think about it that like uh, I can imagine a world where they just like that the like the second that people understood that there was medical science that like ninety percent of the economy was just oriented toward, towards it or something like that kind of thing or like basic health like it's it is kind of amazing how lackadaisical we are even myself i mean just about like physical health in, in a lot of ways like uh given the sort of economic consequences or like i mean like the you know like the welfare consequences or whatever of like avoiding it kind of thing it's like you just die kind of thing i don't know like it's like i was thinking <laughs> yeah. about that like with the the um you know the uh vaccine stuff like about like how they're gonna pay i think I think in New York or something, they're going to pay a hundred dollars to people that get the vaccine now or something like that. And then mm. there's also like the, um, you know, the lotteries and that, which is kind of like, okay, well you have a one in a hundred thousand chance of getting a million dollars or something like that kind of thing. It's still, still like, uh, you know, a substantial amounts of money either way kind of thing, you know, it's enough, but like a hundred dollars. Um, but like, uh, it's funny to me that like, you got to think that like, okay, if you're like looking down at like a calculation of that or something, it's like, okay, I have a 1% chance of dying or something like that. Like in the, in their thinking of this or something like that, I have like a 1% chance of dying if I, you know, don't take the vaccine, uh, or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, that seems like it should be like an, an enormous or like maybe like a even 10% chance of getting sick or, and not having a great day or whatever and that kind of thing or whatever. Um, uh, that should be like an enormous economic value in their minds, like a welfare kind of value of like, yeah, 1% chance of dying that I can easily avoid at no cost to myself or something like that kind of thing in there, in the sort of rationalization. Uh, and then the hundred dollars is actually the nudge that does it kind of thing. It's like, it's like, I don't know. It's just very strange. It's yeah, like, it's pretty it's funny. Like, it's like that that's the way that we make decisions about these kind of things or like, uh, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think there's an important factor there, which is like getting the vaccine is like makes you kind of a bitch. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like that is probably the main thing there for a lot of people. Sure. Like I don't want to be gay and get this stupid vaccine, but for a hundred dollars to sell out your, I don't know, <laughs> like it still doesn't add up to me. Yeah. It's like, it, it, yeah, it's just a very basic level. It's strange to be like kind of okay with dying, but uh, you know, you, you kind of turn it around and get your shit together once you uh, get that hundred dollar check or something. I don't know. It's very, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. Strange way that we think about things. So. I used to think about like the Obama, like, um, the penalty that you pay for not having insurance. Like you get like a little tax penalty if you don't have insurance once Obamacare launched. Uh, mm -hmm. and I always thought that was kind of funny because again, like, like you said, you get such a horrible, like the expected value of getting like sick, which is the probability of, of that grows to like the one once you get to a certain age. If you don't have mm -hmm. health insurance, that already should be like your number one priority would be like to get health insurance because you are going to get seriously sick. But on top of that, you get this tiny little, 
well, not not tiny, but a serious little penalty. But in you know, if you compare the expected value of like getting seriously sick, that little tax penalty doesn't really doesn't really nudge yeah. you. Like that's the reason why. Okay, finally, yeah, I'm gonna get that. You know, the Obamacare plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just like it should already like if you were already like rationally thinking about like what what's the next step for you you know what's the what's the probability of you getting a big you know injury and really losing a million of dollars you know <laughs> that's the problem yeah yeah that, that would already like get you there but i think like yeah by doing that they're kind of acknowledging that you're not actually like at least with respect to health you're not actually thinking probabilistically or rationally yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um someone made the point about that today they were like well uh they were saying that like there's like a share of people, which it does seem to be true that there's a share of people that think there is a cost to the vaccine, like that, like a, a financial cost. They don't trust their health insurance or like the, you know, the government to uh, give them a free vaccine. So that's kind of become like a left wing talking point kind of thing. And I don't think it's wrong really as like a thing, but it's, it's sort of like a funny way to avoid some of the troubling racial questions and stuff like that too or like political questions in a way because it's like you know that the sort of straightforward liberal response has been uh anyone that doesn't want the vaccine is an idiot because they're just believing QAnon's level kind of conspiracy <laughs> they're just an idiot or they're black <laughs> that's yeah so it just that's that's it's like a funny thing it's like they're like well no we know that there's like poor workers and poc or something that are like not taking it too because you know like the black uptake is lower than uh white in general uh and uh so they're like well what's they can't say those people are idiots in their model right Right, so they have to go well the reason is because they're afraid that there's actually a cost and uh, i was thinking about that and i was like yeah but like that's just the same thing as any sort of vaccine skepticism is just it's just more reasonable because it's economic or something right like it's like it's still vaccine skepticism in a way it's like i'm skeptical that when i'm not gonna you're saying that there's no cost to me but i i think there is a cost and uh well that's just what the 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 health thing is too it's like i'm expecting there's going to be some sort of sort of like physical cost to me or something or like the government's going to be able to do something to me or something like that kind of thing it's like it's still in the universe of unfounded beliefs really if if you're saying that like that is if you're saying, well, no, 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 at the end of the day, uh, there is actually no cost, but it's reasonable people for people to believe that. It's like, yeah, but it's also probably reasonable for people to believe that like these giant corporations are not don't have their best interest when it comes to their health as well as their financial stuff or something like that. You know, so yeah, yeah. I've, I thought it was funny that we were talking about this in the Discord a little while ago about like uh, you know basically this idea of like liberals kind of trying to find excuses for why like black people aren't taking the vaccine and stuff. And so there's this article about like it references Tuskegee, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And I was just like saying like, okay, so if that's an okay excuse, like can I use that? Ex- <laughs> like why is that excuse sure. only available to black people? Like couldn't I yeah. also look at that and be like? Well, look at what they did at Tuskegee. I don't want to take that stuff. Like, why is it only black people are, are allowed to say? Like, it. Sure. Yeah, why are they allowed to? Say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ed, that's what. That's what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, why don't why don't do do we have like a quick last one or something like that, or do you want to wrap it up there? Um. Yeah. Let's let's do this one. Um. It says eating your own turds, yay or nay. <laughs> 
Nay seems to be the most common position, but you're mostly doing it anyway, so why cut out the middleman? Thoughts. Um, my thought is I have, who is mostly doing it anyway? What are you talking about? Eating your own turds? What is this? You don't do that? No, I do not. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, most of the world does. You know, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's the easiest way to dispose of it. You don't want to. You know, the toilets okay. are low flow now, so. I thought some of the stuff you were saying about toilets, like, oh, maybe it's me that's the weird one who's, like, grossed out by these disgusting Chinese toilets. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about, Donald? This stuff's gross. But, okay, now I get it. Sure. I'm not eating turds, so obviously I'm the weird one here. Yeah. Well. Well, they do call it a honey bucket, so. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Ed. Yep. Thanks for thanks Always for a pleasure. Me. Yeah, it was good to have you on. So if you guys like this episode and you like a second episode every week, you can do that by subscribing to our Patreon. You'll get that as well as access to our Discord where you can chat with us and our lovely community. If you want to send us anonymous questions, go to the Twitter account at YouCan'tWinPod and you'll find a Curious Cat pin there. A Curious Cat link pin there. Um, thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks guys. Bye.